Have you ever wondered why leading and influencing others is so darn hard? Are you sitting on the sidelines wondering, did career management change and I didn't get the memo? Are you tasked with engaging employees in ways that produce high-performing, inclusive cultures? If you said yes to any of these, then welcome to my podcast, Closing the Gap with Denise Cooper. Here, I interview experts and other leaders who have broken the code and are navigating complex issues and uncertainty. They set goals for themselves, their teams, and their organization, and over time, close the gap between where they are today and where their vision leads them for tomorrow. Listen as we tell the truth about leading and career navigation and offer practical lessons that work for everyone. We try to bring guests who are willing to share their valuable lessons and experiences that are going to help you figure out how to do better. There's no one solution for everyone. Each of us has to know our body, know who we are, know what we want, and then we've got to take these lessons and apply it somewhere else in our lives so that we can consistently, over time, improve and get what it is that we want. That's what Closing the Gap is about. My guest today is Bonnie Artman Fox. So sit back, think about this. What would make a psychiatric nurse and a licensed family therapist decide to move from her successful practice to focus and to become seriously passionate? I love talking to her about workplace dysfunction. You know, those things like my boss is just terrible. Or as I'm hearing more and more people say to me, my coworkers are, I, I don't know, I can't get along. And they've, they've made this place not fun anymore. Or you may be somebody who's a, uh, managing a group that are on calls, dealing with customers, walk-ins, um, retail. And we all have that dreaded Karen, whatever that is, that comes in and for what seems like no reason, feels entitled and entitled enough that they have the authority to scream and holler and just take advantage of our employees in an attempt to get what they want. How do you talk to your employees about handling people who are basically disruptive, rude, and just maybe not nice that day? And how do you handle that person who is actually acting out in that? Well, that's what we're going to talk about today. And Bonnie, how you doing? I'm well, thank you, Denise. And I'm so thrilled to be here with you today. Thank you for the invitation. Oh, no problem. This is, we talk about this every single day with executives of, I've got this employee, I've got these customers, the workplace is changing, my, my folks are prickly and they're being triggered. They don't know what to do. And so I think this is a great time to have this conversation that is giving practical tools and tips on what people can do to help people get through these times, which just seems to be very tense. They are for sure. Yes. So Bonnie, I know you, but why are you so passionate about this? What's your story? Mm. Well, really two reasons of what got me into this work way back when, when I was recruited for my very first leadership position where I had been promised leadership development, I found myself in a work setting that was very dysfunctional. It was the court cultural norm for yelling, emotional outbursts, closed doors, meetings, and everyone walking on eggshells. Instead of leading, I chose to stay. 
Mm. I saw that as an opportunity for me to learn life skills that little did I know would be the foundation of the work that I'm doing today. And with the help of a mentor, I learned how to navigate those emotional landmines. And uh, it was one of the hardest times of my life, also one of the most uh, enriching because of the support of that mentor. Uh, So then fast forward, um, again, through the influence of this mentor, I shifted from being a psychiatric nurse to becoming a licensed marriage and family therapist. And in my practice, I saw people on the other side of me who were dealing with sleepless nights, anxiety, headaches related to dysfunctional workplaces. And um, it was through those experiences that uh, about 10 years ago, I decided to shift my focus from being a therapist to going directly into the workplace to equip leaders to develop the interpersonal skills to create healthy workplaces to stop the dysfunction that employees were going through. Yeah. And about that time, you wrote a book called Pertinacity. Well, what does that word mean? <laughs> the name of my book um, is How Did My Family Get in My Office? Mm-hmm. And it was really out of my experience that I found um, that as I was working with people that our family dynamics show up in the workplace. Mm-hmm. And I interviewed several leaders about how conflict was handled in their upbringing. And as they gained self-awareness, what they did to improve their conflict style for the better. The pertinacity was the word that I saw that each of these leaders did that described the theme of how they transformed their conflict style for the better. And oh this is, a, yeah, it's a real word. I love this word. It's actually in the dictionary. It's a combination of persistence and tenacity. Mm-hmm. And it means sticking with what's difficult, no matter what. Mm. And the definition includes courage, conviction, and a little bit of stubbornness. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> that might be defined as me, but <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Especially the stubbornness part. <laughs> but so, it's so easy to leave difficult conversations because they're messy, they're uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And especially when it comes to looking at ourselves in the mirror and the part mm-hmm. that we play mm-hmm. and what the leaders did. And um, as I interviewed them, that's what I saw in their ability to develop their own self-awareness and transform how they dealt with conflict for the better. Okay. So you said something that caught my attention, what the leader did to contribute. What? How? I mean, I'm perfect. I'm a leader. (laughs) (laughs) But again, you know, if it, I guess maybe if it's my employees, maybe I can see a little bit that I contributed to it, but these people who are Karens that come in and, you know, scream, how, how am I as a leader contributing to that kind of environment where it's okay to just be rude and abusive? Well, I I would say through a lack of self-awareness as Mm -hmm. uh, how that type of a leader is contributing. We all know that leaders go first, that leaders set the tone for the organization of what type of behaviors are okay. And when leaders are so focused on results, on strategy, on metrics, that's the smart side of business that is obviously necessary and important. What I help leaders with is also the healthy side of leadership. Mm -hmm. 
And that is uh, the interpersonal skills, the ability to stay calm during tense conversations, the ability to have difficult conversations, how they manage their reactivity when their fight, flight, or freeze response is going to town. Having those healthy skills only accelerates their smart skills. And that's what healthy leaders do is that they have both the healthy and the smart skills. Okay, so that was a mouthful. And some people might understand the fight, flight, freeze. You know, we kind of hear that. But it also, you know, this whole idea of healthy skills um, and having those kinds of things. So can we tease that out just a little bit? Sure, sure. Fight, flight, freeze. Typically, we that is the reaction when we are in a fear. But it was designed way back when we were um, not covered with buildings and protection for a time that was different, saber-toothed tiger kinds of stuff. So how does that manifest itself now? I mean, I don't even think for the most part, people know, unless somebody is just being aggressive in their face, that they're in that. So talk to me a little bit about where did that come from and what, what does that look like today? In the work that I do with leaders who exhibit abrasive behavior, it's one of the foundational skills that I offer them. And I actually, uh, this is called the TAD dynamic. And here's what I mean. T stands for threat. Whenever we're in a situation where we perceive a threat, whether real or imagined, and as you said, it could be the look on someone's face. It could be a, a tone. It could be rolling the eyeballs. It could be a stare. It could be uh, really anything that we physiologically perceive as a threat. When that happens, the A of TAD is anxiety. Our Mm -hmm. anxiety goes up and that's where we start to feel our fight, flight, or freeze response getting triggered. It's often not in our stomach or flushed feeling. Sometimes we have sweaty palms. Some some people have described it as uh, their ears are burning or they feel the tension in their neck. We all feel it different ways. The point is that our body is telling us there is something going on here that we perceive a threat and we are, our stress hormones are shooting up into our brain and it's telling our bodies beware. Mm-hmm. If we don't manage that anxiety, the D of TAD is defend. That's when we will fight, flee, or freeze. Mm-hmm. And we fight by saying something maybe that we later regret. Mm-hmm. or we flee by avoiding the situation, or on Zoom, we turn off our videos, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or freeze, we are literally immobilized, and we're just caught in. We don't know what to do or say, so we do nothing. Yeah, yeah. That's what I mean by the TAD dynamic that relates physiologically to what's going on in our bodies when we perceive a threat, as, okay. including in a during a difficult conversation. Okay, so now the flip side of it, the healthy responses. So how do I, you know, when I'm faced with it, because TAD, the those static response is so automatic. In some readings I've seen, it's, it happens in 0.007 seconds. So before I can even think about it, I am moving into it, in it, and both feet stuck in the mud around it. How do I know that I've got healthy responses and how do I employ them? Well, and you're exactly right. It does happen so quickly. It all starts with Mm self-awareness and even having this conversation and your listeners becoming more aware of how do they know when their tad is triggered? How do they 
perceive it in their bodies is half the battle. So that Mm -hmm. once we have that awareness, then we can work and identify strategies to work through that anxiety. Mm -hmm. For example, simply taking a breath into the count of four and breathing out to the count of five and doing that four times takes roughly a minute. That is one simple strategy to lower the stress hormones that are shooting through our brain that is driving our TAD response. It's really our Mm self-protection in order to stay safe in those Mm -hmm. situations. So it almost is like if a person is in, I think it would be easier, maybe I'm wrong. It, It would be easier if maybe the first step is if you're in the fight or the flight, focus on a freeze because then I have to stop enough or pause enough. Maybe that's it. Pause enough before I open my mouth, which is fight, right? And say something I'm going to regret. And flee is just backing up and backing out. Because I often tell people, if you're in a situation and you know you're about to say something or do something inappropriate, like respond really fast to it, it's okay to um, recluse yourself or to get up and say, you know what, I need a minute and to pull out of it. But a lot of people, because they haven't honed that skill, it just comes out before they even know it. Mm -hmm. So it's almost like you're telling them freeze first, breathe, then what? Well, I just want to highlight what you just said, and it relates to the name of your podcast. And what you focus on here is the gap Mm -hmm. from where we are to where we want to be. Mm-hmm. when we are recognizing when our TAD is triggered, we are creating that gap so that we do create a space. So the way we respond is making that conscious choice mm-hmm. to show up as our best and who we aspire to be, especially as a leader. Taking that, that well, then there's a whole lot of work before you get to that point, I think. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But let's keep it narrowed out because I think, you know, if, if I ask 10 people, who do you aspire to be? Okay, guys, take a note. Ask yourself the question. Who do you aspire to be? Who do you want to show up as? How do you want to be consistently interacting with people? What would you write down? Mm-hmm. So what would what would you write down, Bonnie? I mean, how do you give an example? I do this part of all of the training programs that I do, and it is so meaningful for the leaders that they then have, I ask them to choose three words Mm -hmm. of who do you aspire to be, especially during conflict of how you want to show up of what it's like to be on the other side of you, especially during conflict. So we're narrowing it during conflict. Mm -hmm. And my three words are calm, confident, and courageous. Mm. And the calm part is where I'm managing my reactivity. I'm managing my TAD. Mm -hmm. I am confident to say what needs to be said with respect, with dignity, Mm -hmm. respecting that other person. Mm -hmm. And the courage is to stick. And this relates to the pertinacity of sticking with the discomfort, the messiness of conversations in order to move the conversation forward and to maintain that relationship, even allow the relationship to get stronger as a result of having this messy, difficult conversation and move the team forward to move towards better results. So it's calm, confident. And what was the third one? Courageous. Courageous. So three C's. 
Those and, are mine. And so every that's what I would invite your listeners to think about. Who do they aspire to be during difficult conversations? And it will be personal for everybody. Mm-hmm, 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 but the choosing mm-hmm. those three words, sometimes people also choose a phrase. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, uh, I worked with one business owner and his phrase was better than I found it, better than I found it. Mm-hmm. And that phrase for him came from, he was a third generation family business owner. Mm-hmm. And there had been a lot of drama, a lot of things that had happened over the years of passing on this family business. And in every decision that he made, it came from his intent from, I want this business. I want our culture here and our customer experience to be better than I found it. Okay. And to make it, take it to the Oh, that's a level. good one. I like that one. Better than I found it. Yeah. 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 I like that. I like that. So uh, listeners, Take a moment, pause it out, stay with us though. She's got some more stuff coming up. And just think through how do you want to show up? How what's the impact of your words, your body, your your energy in a situation where it may be uncomfortable and you just don't want to blow a relationship or you want to make a mistake in it? What would you do? All right. So we kind of got the first part of it. Okay. Now I'm thinking about it. I've got a focus saying or three words or whatever. Now, how do I have this conversation? What are, what are some things that I need to think about when I'm confronted with someone who makes me uncomfortable, um, maybe abusive, toxic? What would I do next? I think of it as uh, um, the acronym of heroic empathy, the acronym being heroic and empathy. And now I'm going to give an example from the perspective of an executive leader Mm -hmm. who is having a conversation with one of their direct reports, who is a high performer, really, really good at what that person does, high revenue generator makes the company a lot of money and Mm -hmm. has expert knowledge. Mm -hmm. At the same time, this person is wreaking havoc on the culture. Their Mm -hmm. behavior is what I work with most often is abrasive, meaning Mm -hmm. that uh, there can be the emotional outbursts, the condescending, belittling uh, comments, uh, public humiliation, over control, micromanaging, a whole slew of those type of behaviors. Right, 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 right. That, that, that describes a toxic behavior. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so the executive leader is having this conversation to invite this, we'll call them the manager to turn around that behavior. Okay. The H of heroic is humanity. We want to start out with simply, how are you? How is your family doing something to take an interest in that individual as a person? Mm-hmm. The E is empathy. And this is where we are conveying that uh, we understand this is a difficult conversation. And the purpose of this conversation is talking about some difficult uh, a series of complaints that I've been receiving. And I want to talk with you about how to help you turn those around. Mm-hmm. The R is reality. And mm-hmm. this is where you as the executive leader are presenting the reality of we value you, we want you here, and this behavior can't go on. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, this is, I've been receiving these complaints and people have negative perceptions of working with you. Mm-hmm. And uh, the O is we want to give you the opportunity to turn this around uh, by inviting you to be a part of a coaching experience. And then the I of heroic is integrity. And this mm-hmm. is where you as an executive leader would share Hey, I've, I've had my struggles in my life too. I have gone through leadership coaching uh, that helped me lift blind spots that I had that only made me a better leader. And that's what I want for you. Mm -hmm. And the C of heroic is the choice. It is always that person's choice to change. We have no control over what other people do. Absolutely. Simply want to invite them into this opportunity and the choice ultimately is theirs. Now, along the way, you as the executive leader are also saying something will happen if this behavior continues. Yeah. We've had this conversation before. If you could have changed on your own, you would have by now. This is a pattern. We want to help you turn this around. Mm -hmm. I, I like the pattern of heroic. It gives people a way in which they can think through each one of the steps and think about, you know, how would I open it up? Because oftentimes, you know, it's the head of HR, people go in and they elongate the H part, you know, and next thing you know, and kind of, I need you to change this behavior. And I'd always tell and when I'm coaching HR people, I say, just go and ask each person, what did they hear? What did they do? And invariably, the leader would be, oh, man, it was a tough conversation. And I hit them between the eyes and, oh, my goodness, I was just horrible. And then I talked to the employee and it was like, oh, yeah, I, I need to change a few things, but, you know, whatever out of it. But overall, I'm great or I'm doing OK or they totally missed the point because they leaned into the H a little too long because it's a safe place. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So so the model allows us to kind of make sure we hit each and every one of those points throughout mm-hmm. the conversation and to to think about what that is, because these are tough conversations. So planning is key on what yes. you're going to say and how, how you're going to say it and make sure that the person actually hears the weight of the conversation. Yes. Yes. And is the key part of any change is that we know that person is serious. Yeah. And In this case, the executive leader is serious that something will change, that this isn't a conversation, just a a pat on the hand, and we can go back to business as usual. No, there's accountability here. And the expectation of turning around the abrasive behavior, because this isn't the kind of culture that we want here. We want all of our employees to be treated with respect and dignity. This isn't okay. So in- in my book, one of the things I had to help a leader through was had an abrasive employee who also was underskilled, not through necessarily her fault, but the organization because of her, the way she came across, it just didn't invite people to give her the support she needed to develop. But the other side of it was, is everybody had been watching this and they all knew it, didn't tell her. So they reacted to that. I suggested and we constructed a way in which he had to go through each of the groups and help people give her a, a another chance because we come with this preconceived. And if I'm thinking I'm going to be chewed out, disrespected, then my guard's going to be up. 
how do you help a leader set the stage so this person really could change? The way that I invite people to participate in the coaching is that if they agree to the coaching is they would send an email and invite them, a, a selected six to eight people, invite them to be interviewed by me. Mm-hmm. where I learn about the negative perceptions of what it's like to work with them. And in the email that the abrasive leader is sending out to their colleagues who they are choosing people who they know are going to give them the truth, give yeah. me the truth and not just uh, be fans or be over the top with all the negative. They're going to be able to give both their strengths and the challenges of working with that person. Mm-hmm. And typically in that email, then as people receive them, there's a few things. I'm so grateful that the, that I work for a company who is investing in helping this individual improve. I have such admiration for this leader, this manager, who is perceived to be abrasive, who's humble enough to be, be willing to work on themselves. Mm-hmm. And I'm honored to be a part of this to help my colleague improve that Mm -hmm. I'm trusted to give this feedback because I want to help that person improve. So you have the person who has been labeled the abrasive personality or the toxic personality actually go out and solicit feedback, but uh, invite people to help them along the way. Mm -hmm. And that's as I interview them, then I compile a feedback summary that is all the identifying information is taken out. I am Mm -hmm. very work very, very hard at that so that it there, because people are afraid of retaliation. So there is a a real fear of that, but right from the get go, if the uh, person perceived to be abrasive is, I tell them if we're going to work together, there can be no retaliation that mm-hmm. people are willingly participating in this process mm-hmm. in order to help you. Mm-hmm. There can be no going back and saying, what did you say to Bonnie? Or um, did Bonnie contact you? Um, at the end, they really don't know who I interview because they give a list of names to their boss and mm-hmm. their boss also adds on confidential add-ons. Mm-hmm. And the boss has the final say about who I interview. Okay. Um, so that to make also... sure there's no stacking the deck. Yes. <laughs> yes. Well said. <laughs> great. Great. How does yes. how do you work with HR? How does HR get involved in this? Because you know they they have to support both sides. I'm either contacted by HR. Mm-hmm. Um, ultimately, typically, it's either an executive HR leader or an executive leader who um, actually is the decision maker about bringing me in. And then I work with both to coordinate the co-worker interviews, um, as well as working with the leader perceived to be abrasive. After I compile the feedback summary and and then deliver the feedback summary only to the leader perceived to be abrasive, that person has to trust me mm-hmm. that this information is confidential. It's just between the two of us. Uh, this is not a tool for the company then to fire that person. Yeah. Um, this is a tool to help that person understand the negative perceptions of what it's like to work with them. Oh, okay. And that becomes our playbook, if you will, um, to look at the themes and develop the strategies 
to turn around those negative perceptions by developing interpersonal skills specific to the themes in the feedback summary. Okay. And we have several coaching sessions and maybe maybe about five, six coaching sessions that turnaround is actually quite quick. It's usually mm-hmm. by the third session. And in the mm-hmm. third session, mm-hmm. there's a demonstrable improvement because the person now has gotten that tangible evidence of how they are perceived. And people and, aren't picking on me. And right. It's somebody else's you know, right. thing or something like that. Right. I gotcha. I gotcha. So th- then I do another, uh, what I call pulse check about the midway point through coaching and ask the same questions of what are the strengths of working the, with this person? What are the challenges? And often I hear, I'm having a much different conversation mm-hmm. with you than mm-hmm. I did a few months ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, then I compile another feedback summary, uh, give it to the individual. And now we know, okay, we're on track and that they are seeing progressive improvement of turning around those behaviors. And we know what to continue to work on um, as well as how to sustain the change. Oh, that's great. That's great. How did you put this together? What was the research that you pulled on or was it, is this all your experience and you put it together or? When I decided to shift from being a licensed marriage and family therapist and knew that I wanted to zero uh, in on helping leaders transform Mm -hmm. disruptive behaviors, I specifically sought out accreditation through the Boss Whispering Institute. Okay. And it's a program uh, that's been developed by Laura Crawshaw. It's really her research of how she developed this model. Mm -hmm. It has an 82% success rate of helping leaders to transform abrasive behaviors and uh, develop interpersonal skills. And what's why so does cool- why is there a gap? I mean, why is it not higher? What what are there some particular behaviors that why somebody doesn't or isn't successful? Oh, you that is such a great question, Denise. It, uh, it co- comes down to a few things. N- number one, if the leader perceived to be abrasive does not believe that their boss is going to follow through on consequences, meaning Ooh. their job could be in jeopardy there's a lower success rate. Mm -hmm. Another reason um, is that the powers that be in Mm -hmm. upper leadership Mm -hmm. exhibit abrasive behaviors themselves. Mm. And that person often feels scapegoated that, Mm -hmm. Hey, uh, I'm, I'm being asked to address this, but this is what I have been groomed of how to lead. This is the culture. Yes. Yes. And then another reason can be that there is the willingness for a variety of reasons that are beyond this conversation. Mm -hmm. A person just isn't able to change. Mm -hmm. Okay. So if I'm confronted with someone who has an abrasive personality, the the Karens or people who are just, you know, they're just tired and maybe they're a little too snippy. I'm not even going to say it's the Karens per se, but just you get those phone calls, you have these customers, they've had bad days, maybe their boss was abrasive, and they're just, you know, looking, you know, they they always say it rolls downhill, right? So maybe that's the situation. If I'm confronted with somebody like that, remind me of what I need to do to help them kind of or help protect myself, because it's really about protecting me. That's the situation I was in way back when. Mm -hmm. And I... I really thought I was going crazy because I was working so diligently to be a high performer, to, 
to learn, mm-hmm. to show up as my best as an employee. Um, and that is what led me to seek out a, a, a mentor to help me navigate this mm-hmm. uh, because I wanted to grow through this. Uh, so it would be, I would suggest uh, always taking responsibility for our part, responding with dignity and respect, especially in authority of that mm-hmm. person. And depending on the rapport that you have with that person, and this is risky, the employee might have a conversation of what it's like uh, to be on the receiving end. That is risky because it could heighten that leader's perception of threat. Now their tad is up and it could lead to retaliation. Yeah. So I take that step very cautiously Mm -hmm. and I would uh, encourage seeking wise counsel from either the employee's assistance program or from coaching to make that decision. If that employee would choose to go to HR, it's very, Mm -hmm. very important. Again, that can be risky too, Mm -hmm. because sometimes the leader perceived to be abrasive can present as this wonderful- um, Not my problem, it's theirs, and they're really a performance issue. Yes. So it's it's risky to go to HR, but if you would choose to go to HR uh, so that you aren't perceived as the problem, make sure you go with documentation of mm-hmm. events that happened mm-hmm. of in an objective way, outline what happened, what was said, mm-hmm. um, and going in calm, composed, and very clear of, of providing evidence of the the, the behaviors of what it's been like to be on the receiving end of abrasive yeah. behavior. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. This has been really, really fascinating. Now you also have kind of a, another system for dealing with dysfunctional workplaces per se, because as you said, it could be one of the reasons why it doesn't work with an individual could be that the culture is such that that's tolerated behavior. For some reason, maybe this person just stepped a little too far or maybe they did it to the wrong person. And that's what got them in this situation where they need a coach per se, because they violated some kind of norm in and of itself. So if you find it's that, that the environment is one that allows people to do it and there's an expectation that if you're tough and you're part of this, you have to have this aggressive kind of behavior. How do you handle that one? Because oftentimes when I get called in, I'm getting called in because of one person. And then I find out that the culture is really supporting this person. And if they go too far one way or the other, they're in a lose-lose situation. I am very particular about who I work with for that very Mm -hmm. reason. Mm-hmm. Unless I can work with the executive leadership team, mm-hmm. who, as I said earlier, sets the tone for the organization, and they are willing to look at how they interact with each other and the behaviors that they exemplify and that others are noticing and following, just like children. Yeah. Know, yeah. Just they, children emulate what their parents do. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's what employees do. Yeah. Uh, so it's really, the willingness and the humility of the executive leadership team to say, what about, how am I showing up? How am I contributing to this? I I most recently was working with a team that was 
having a whole bunch of problems. And as I was teasing back the layers, it came back to the executive leader. Okay. Abrasive. And to that person's credit, they were open to hearing the feedback of what Mm -hmm. it was like to work for them. Mm -hmm. And it's been transformative for the team. The issues on the team have settled down as a result of that leader having the humility to say, I'm part of the problem. Yeah. Yeah. How I'm leading and the demands I have uh, and the pressure I put on people for results and, and getting the timeline to get things done at a fast pace. And as that person has backed off, there's been an immense improvement on the team. Oh, wonderful. uh, That's, that's just amazing. That, that, that's amazing. Mm -hmm. So there's, so no matter what situation in the model works, because it, it really is assessing the situation to know whether it's ripe to change. Yes. And if there's that willingness, that humility to look at uh, the the impact of our words and actions Mm -hmm. on those around us. Mm -hmm. So tell me a little bit about how can people get a hold of you? Oh, thank you. Uh, Well, if as people are listening to this call, uh, if they would like to have a complimentary 30-minute call just to look at some strategies to address their work situation, they can reach out to me at (laughs) soswithbonnie.com to uh, set up a 30-minute strategy call. Uh, My website is bonnieartmanfox.com. And you can get my book on Amazon of how did my family get in my office? All right. All right. You know, it's interesting because we always talk about go get a a mentor, a coach, somebody who's an advisor. And it's very generous of you to give kind of that, hey, here's the model. Let me hear your story. This is how you can help to be that person's mentor or coach out of that. That's very generous of you. Thank you. So guys. This is so wonderful. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. And as I always say, if you heard it and you liked it, share it. If you didn't like it, share it. Why? Because I guarantee it will be a conversation that will help you get the clarity you need to close the gap to get from where you are today to where you want to be tomorrow. Denise, it is such an honor to know you. Thank Ah! you for the work that you are doing and the impact that you are making to create healthy workplaces. The world needs more people like Denise. <laughs> I don't know. There's a couple leaders that would probably uh, go, ah! <laughs> but I thank you for the compliment. And guys, if you have questions, you know that we have Mighty Networks once a month where we take your questions and you're invited to listen to the answer to the questions live and ask follow-up questions, you can go to my website. It's remarkableleadershiplessons.com. It's all in the show notes. And join us once a month to have an interactive session because we're trying to build a community of individuals who are actually working to create healthy workplaces, inclusive workplaces, and high-performing workplaces. Hey, that's a wrap. Thank you again from the bottom of my heart for listening to this podcast. Please leave comments below. I'd love to know what you're thinking. If you liked it, share it. If you didn't like it, share it because I guarantee it's going to start a conversation that will help you close the gap. I want to thank the C-Suite Radio Network 
for hosting my podcast. It is the largest network dedicated to the growth and development of leaders worldwide. I'd also like to thank Ivan G. Hall for the music that you are currently enjoying. Hey, check him out. He's really a great musician. And finally, I have two other requests. One is, please, please, please leave a review on this, either on Apple or Google or wherever you get your podcast. And the other is, don't forget, please look up my book, Remarkable Leadership Lessons, Change Results, One Conversation at a Time. It's available on Amazon and Barnes & Noble in paperback, as well as Kindle versions. And with that, it's a wrap. Talk to you next week. Bye. Bye.